When I was a kid growing up in Jersey, uh, anybody who was a hoot or really funny or something, uh, we'd call him a riot. Ladies and gents, uh, this guy's a riot in more ways than one. Bob Dylan. streets of Rome are filled with rubble. Ancient footprints are everywhere. You can almost think that you're seeing double on a cold, dark night on the Spanish stairs. Got to hurry on back to my hotel room where I've got me a date with Botticelli's niece. She promised that she'd be right there with me when I paint my masterpiece. Oh, the hours I've spent inside the Colosseum, dodging lines and wasting time. Oh, those mighty kings of the jungle, I can hardly stand to see them. Yeah, it sure has been a long, hard climb. Train reels running through the back of my memory when I ran on a hilltop following a pack of wild geese. Someday, everything is going to be smooth like a rhapsody when I paint my masterpiece. This is Pod Dylan, the show that celebrates the work of Bob Dylan, one song at a time. Proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm your host at Freewheeling, Rob Kelly. And joining me this week is uh, one of my longest serving, <laughs> I put it as serving, one of my longest serving friends. He's a artist, he's a writer, he's a musician, and he was in the room when I started my journey with Bob Dylan. Hi, pal, Sean Tiffany. Hi, Sean. Hello, everybody. I am so thrilled to have you here, man. This is, I was looking forward to this for a long time because you and I, you, as I said, you were literally in the room. Right. I was there when you went from Billy Joel to Bob Dylan, <laughs> the switch. I saw the switch. <laughs> right. Exactly. I, we have to get a little bit of context. Sean and I were roommates on our first year of the Joe Kubert school. And when I arrived, I had a little spinner with all my cassettes and I had every Billy Joel album and I think like two soundtracks. And that yeah. was it. That was all I had. You came yeah, to. I don't know if people knew that. Like your your your. I don't want to say obsession with Dylan. That's obsession. Totally was, obsession. Yeah. I, no, I mean, I guess. I mean, it, it's a a long standing fanship of Dylan was preceded by a long standing fanship of Billy Joel, right. which was not as intense. But I could see it was. I could see how you could become such a fan of Dylan after seeing how big a fan you were of Billy Joel. Right. Right. You know, you, you have you, that in you to be like, I'm a huge fan of whatever I'm a fan of. There's no zero or one or two. It's like I'm 11 at all times, <laughs> whatever I'm a fan of, which I love, which I absolutely love about you. And so you, it, you came to you came to to Kubert with a lot more, uh, a much wider variety of music that you listen to. And you you introduced me to a lot of really great stuff. Like I had heard virtually no Lou Reed other than Lou like Reed, Walk yep. on the Wild Side until you started playing his New York album, which I love. So you were really instrumental in helping me kind of broaden my horizon a little bit in that regard i appreciate that i appreciate that oh, um absolutely yeah, i feel like it wasn't nearly as you know as wide as it is now but of course you know you kind of grow up just listening to what your friends listen to and right and all that stuff so and what your parents listen to and again coming from i came from in new england up in maine a lot of at bruce springsteen um a lot of that kind of um i guess classic rock was a lot of what i listened to back sure. then too so I, and again i look back i'm like why was i listening to lou reed new york which is such an odd album <laughs> to listen to for like a 17 18 year old kid right because i mean i mean people used to listen to it with me and go like he's barely even singing he's, he's just right, he's just talk singing right yeah <laughs> and i didn't understand I'm like no this is great and i guess that's the poetry of it which i enjoyed which again is a very bob dylan thing is just poetry played to be played to rock and roll music right so right I think you and I have always kind of come from that. And I don't want to say it's simple music, but it's 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 a very singer-songwriter-poet kind of music. 
right you didn't right you yeah you didn't come in with like all these yes concept albums that are like these big operatic things it was much more stripped down i mean you're a huge fan of bruce springsteen you are responsible uh for me seeing the best non-bob dylan (laughs) concert i've ever been to which was the bruce springsteen show that was like once in a once in a lifetime event going that that was one i actually won tickets to it that's right i couldn't find anyone to go with me and rob was like okay i'll drive up from south jersey and we'll go and you and I went, and it was probably the longest concert I've ever seen in my life. I was like four where hours. I was honestly like, please stop. I need to go home now, <laughs> Bruce. I know you're up there playing, but I need to go home. I'm so tired right now. <laughs> I mean, it was, what, a five-hour show minimum? Oh, it went on forever. Brought out the whole E Street Band one at a time. I oh, brought out I, uh, Joe Ely and, and Southside Johnny. And you're like, oh, my God, stop bringing people out. There's only so many people in New Jersey who can be on stage. I do remember saying to you at the end of the show, because remember you, near the end, you played Born to Run. Right. And when they were doing the, like, people were doing the fist pumps. Oh, yeah. And, like, it was they, like, they turned they turn the lights on and you saw, you know, however many people fit in the, fit in the Meadowlands pumping their fists. And I remember thinking, man, good thing Bruce Springsteen uses this power for good. Oh, exactly. Because you could, <laughs> you could, this could very clearly turn into what would later be like a Trump rally. Like, you could get, get ugly. Oh, he could have been like, fast. let's go riot and take down the nearest 7-Eleven. We would have yeah. all killed somebody and just yeah, ripped well, apart a 7-Eleven for Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> yeah, I would have been throwing the, throwing the slurpy machine around at Bruce's command. Absolutely. So now I, I need to give a little bit of context as to what, I, what I'm talking about when I say that you were in the room was what happened was we lived in this ruddy down – place called the Clinton House. And that was where a bunch of us lived in the first year school. It was one of the, the the housing units. And we, Sean and I shared a room and then we, our room abutted another room uh, by two other guys, Dan O'Connor and Chuck Von Choff. And they went to school. And on weekends when we had not, we had, you know, 47 assignments to get done. Right. We would open those pocket doors to their room and make one big room. And that was when you guys would put your cassettes on or whatever music we had. It was the Beatles or whatever. And Dan right. O'Connor had the Wilburys, the first Wilburys. And it was right. literally during those afternoons that we were all at our desks working away that I was like, wow, this Wilburys record is terrific. And I really seem to like the Bob Dylan songs most of all. So it was it was literally – I still remember those moments of sitting there with our backs to one another. You're working. I'm working. Dan's working. Chuck's working. And thinking like – Oh, this dirty world song. This is really good. I like the. I like this guy's voice. And was that the like, first you know? Wilburys album? Yes. So it, it was it the was, first one. Okay. It was the first one. So it was like, wow, Tweeter and the Monkey Man. This is. I dig this. This is. I like this guy's voice. So <laughs> you were there at the beginning. So what is your history with with Dylan at that point? How much? How um, much were you familiar with him when you when at that moment? I'm mostly, you know, familiar with his radio stuff. Again, I grew up with classic rock and with a dad who loved Dylan. So one of my favorite albums was the Freewheeling Bob Dylan which he had in his car, and I would borrow his car, and that's what I would listen to over and over again was Freewheel and Bob Dylan. Um, that was a big one. And again, the radio stuff, like Tangled Up in Blue, or um, uh, I'm trying to think what else was, you know, Lay, 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 Lay. Maggie's Farm. I know they played Maggie's Farm. I remember hearing Maggie's Farm on the radio a couple of times. I'm trying to think, what's the, uh, the subterranean, subterranean homesick, homesick blues? blues. Um, just stuff like that you'd hear on the radio on a classic rock station. But again, the first one that I really loved was was the Freewheel and Bob Dylan, which was just amazing to me. Um, pretty sure my dad had blood on the tracks, but I'm not sure if I was that into it at the time. Mm-hmm. So I knew who he was. I knew what he'd done. I didn't really follow him as far as like what he was doing in the 80s, but mostly kind of the classic stuff and the Wilburys. So I knew who he was when the Wilburys started. You know, I right. knew who everyone right. was. 
So it was it was kind of like just, you know, I grew into it, I guess, from my dad's point of view, because and he would also play a lot of stuff. He was big into um, Peter, Paul and Mary, who would play like Blowing in the Wind. Sure, sure. And all that stuff. So he would actually play guitar a little bit and get his friends together and just sing those songs. So that's kind of my first introduction to Bob was through my dad playing it, which was kind of weird. Yeah, well, again, you've continued on in that tradition, but we'll get to that. We'll get to that in a moment. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the <clears> song we're here to the song we're here to talk about is "When I Paint My Masterpiece," which uh, Bob unveiled on his Greatest Hits Volume Two album, which came out in 1971. Which you know that was during a period where he was post a motorcycle accident, and he was really kind of mostly. Not uh, retired, but sort of just hanging out up in Woodstock and not doing a whole lot. Is and that weird were... to think of Bob Dylan retired at 1971? I know. That's, that's <clears throat> inconceivable now. And and so, you know, Columbia Records was desperate to package whatever material they could get and repackage it. And so they put out one Greatest Hits record in 67, and then they put out the second one, which is a double album. And then Bob threw on a couple of new songs. There's uh, new versions of I Shall Be Released and You Ain't Going Nowhere, which is, one of, again, one of my favorite things, which we've covered on the show. And then uh, Watching the River Flow and this song. And this song, as soon as I heard it, I immediately loved it because, of course – you know, we went to art school. We were artists. And here right. is Bob talking literally about someday when you are going to paint your masterpiece. You're going to do your greatest piece of work. And, you know, that – I mean it, you can transpose it to whatever creative endeavor that you want. But, I mean, it really was perfect. And when I – after we graduated and I went home and I tried to sh- set up my shingle as like, oh, I'm a professional freelance artist. I called my studio, which is silly. We all have studio names for no good reason. But I called it when I paint oh. my masterpiece studios. I mean, that right. was, that's how much I love the song. Yeah, my introduction to this song particularly was through you. Like, I don't know if I would have heard it other than you loving it so much and kind of being your, your theme song in your 20s. Was right, this. right. So I, I mostly know about it through you. So I want to hear okay. more your take on it. And it's interesting now to think of it, you know, as a creative endeavor, everything's going to be different when I paint my masterpiece. I wonder if, if thinking back now, you know, we're older now, you thought at the time in your 20s, like, okay, once I do this one thing in my artistic career, everything will be okay. Right. And I right. wonder now if you'll never achieve that. Like even Bob Dylan's like, I still have yet to achieve my masterpiece. You know, and, and that's the part of it's the journey is is the destination. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think by the way that Dylan sings, I mean, the song is is very lighthearted. He continues right. to after the after the second verse, he sings sailing around the world in a dirty gondola. Oh, to be back in the land of Coca-Cola, which actually that verse is omitted in the uh, Greatest Hits Volume 2 version. Oh, really? OK. Yeah. Yeah. He, did, he doesn't sing that part. And then he continues on. I left Rome and landed in Brussels on a plane ride so bumpy that I almost cried, which, again, is different words than the version on the, the record. Well, that's what Clergy- Bob does. He just changes yep, words. Yeah, he loves it. Yeah, he can't stop. Clergymen in uniform and young girls pulling muscles. Everyone is there, uh, but nobody tried to hide. Newspaper man eating candy had to be held down by big police. Someday everything is going to be different. When I paint my masterpiece. And so yeah. even the tone, just the way Bob sings it, it's clearly meant to be a joke. This is a guy. Well, it's a weird. Saying, he, he paints a picture with words, but this one is like, I don't know what you're painting. That's a weird. I mean, it's, it's not a story song at all. It's just a bunch of images like, well, I don't even know what you're trying to say. Is it a bi- you know autobiographical thing with you know him dealing with reporters or women? I, I just never understood what he was. Again, the 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 chorus being you know when I paint my masterpiece, I'm like it doesn't really the the verses don't support that statement almost. You know? Yeah, I feel like it's a very 
very lighthearted view of his journey to this point right. because he talks right. about the newspaper men and uh, you know had to, I mean he he dealt with the newspaper men a lot I mean, in terms of you know uh, right. and he talks about spent time inside the Coliseum dodging lines and wasting time I mean that's that's a guy talking about being in the public square. You know, dealing with being a famous person, and that's something that he's returned to in many of his songs. But here, it's as opposed to, say, in a song like Restless Farewell, where he talks much more kind of resigned or kind of sad about what it's like to be a celebrity. This is more fun. This is more right. just like, okay, I was in the I was in the Coliseum dodging lines and wasting time. And, and I wonder, you know, thinking about it now, if that's the, his, his whole journey and what he had to put up with to be Bob Dylan and on the road all the time. If he thought like, God, once I do this one thing, everything will be better after that. You know what I mean? Right. And I wonder if that like, just never happens. It's just like, nope, still on the road. You know? Yeah, right. Even he my knows, dad yeah, he... says that he can't imagine like Bob Dylan singing at home. Like he's like, where does that guy live? And I'm like, on the I road. Know. He just lives on the yeah. road. That's, that's where yeah. he lives. Probably, pretty much. Pretty much. I mean, it's we we should. I, I normally wait till later on in the show to get to it, but we'll talk about it now. This song uh, it was not played live until October 30th, 1975. Uh, so he waited about four years to play it, although he wasn't doing a whole ton of concerts between that those times. It's been played live 113 times, most recently last night, uh, <laughs> as of as of this recording, which is October 14th, 2018. It was last played October 13th, 2018. So on this current leg of Bob Dylan's never-ending tour, he's pulling this out again, which is amazing. I never would imagine he would be playing this song. And, of course, it is very ironic for someone of his age to be playing this song because I think at 75 – you're kind of admitting you are never going to paint your masterpiece. Right. It's all, as you say, it's just going to be the journey. And so to me, it's it, he must be having a lot of fun playing this song again because talk about an obscure one to, to dig out. Well, let me ask you this. Is he playing? Because I, I tried to look it up this morning to kind of hear the original version, which I think either Bob or Bob's lawyers are like, no, don't put it on YouTube at all. So I can only find live versions with him in the band. Right, right. Uh, so is the original version, is it a piano centric kind of based off or is it guitar is it is it what's the original it's, one that's on the the greatest hits that's the that's like a guitar one as okay. far as i know yeah that's the one that's the one that is really like that was the it wasn't ever a single but that's the one right. that, that was put on the record and yeah he's done it live and the band at the 30th anniversary uh, concert that i went to the band was at that and they played this song okay uh and they they sang it actually with the, the lyrics about sailing around the world in the dirty gondola oh to be back in right. the land of coca and that's the version i know and it was almost i right. remember it being like a piano based version more than a guitar based version right i mean i there is the piano in the greatest hits volume two okay. version and there are alternate takes of it as far as i know uh, i don't think i've i think i've maybe heard them i don't know if i have them in my collection somewhere um there is a i mean he did work it's on there is a version of it on the bootleg series volume 10 another self-portrait it was like right. a demo <clears throat> that he did of the song but yeah i mean it's it when when i heard it for the first time I took it much more seriously as like, yeah, I can't wait to like paint right. my masterpiece. And then and as you get older, as we all get older and we've had all these, you know, you've done, it was like that aphorism we heard. I forget what artist said it, but it was like some comic book artist said, you have a hundred thousand bad drawings in you. So you right. might as well get started now to get them out of the way. Uh, so, you know, and you're, that's what you're aiming towards. And that, you know, when you're 21, 22 and you're full of piss and vinegar, you're, you're like, yeah, I can't wait to paint my masterpiece. And it's all, and that's a hard-won wisdom that you get when you're older, and this was something Bob Dylan had already achieved at age 30. He was 30 when he right, wrote exactly. this. He was he was sort of content to leave his legacy alone at the, and that's kind of what watching the river flow is about too, because that that song opens with a line about what's the matter with me? I don't have much to say. He's sort of saying, look, I I think I'm sort of tapped out here. 
Now, of course, that would change very quickly. But at this moment, he was just enjoying living with his wife and popping out kids and uh, (laughs) taking, uh, I think he took like uh, piano lessons and he took uh, language, like I think he learned a foreign language and stuff like that. He was just, he was just enjoying his life. And this, this song feels that way. It has that kind of, it, it's regretful, not regretful. It's kind of shaking its head in, in, in uh, you know, a, a slight way of like all the craziness that he went through. But that's over now, and he could point to something and, and look forward to a future that he sort of knows is never going to happen. And that's that's kind of the fun of the song. Well, a couple of things about going back is um, I love the, the song like this, which wasn't like a radio hit. No. If if you went like if I went like Rob, what's the definitive version of the song? You'd be like, well, choose which one you like. That's it. Right. You know, there's no right. definitive. This is the and I love that about Bob Dylan stuff is like, what is the definitive version of whatever song? You could almost be like, well, this is my favorite, but there really is no definitive done. This is the one that everyone knows other than, you know, the big ones. So I love that about him. There's no real definitive version of it. And going back to the paint my masterpiece part, it's interesting that he again, you've done work. I've done work. And even if you've done your greatest work ever, you're still the next day going, well, what am I going to do today? You got to do something. And it's almost nice not to have hit whatever someone thinks is your masterpiece, because I hate to be. I mean, there's an episode was the Gary Shandling show where he had Warren Zevon on Mm -hmm. and Warren Zevon's like, I want to play my new song. He's like, nope, play Werewolves of London. Play that one. That's the one (laughs) everyone knows. And it's almost like you get angry. Like, I think of, like, Weezer, who's like, we cannot get off the stage until we play Buddy Holly. Mm -hmm. And it's like, we did that when I was 22 years old. And I can't imagine doing something that someone loves so much, which would be great. Or like Sheryl Crow, like you have to do, all I want to do is have some fun. Like you can't get off the stage without doing the one thing people love, which would be great that people love it. But at the same time, almost a curse, like, God, this is what I'm known for. Something that I think is not my best work that I did when Mm -hmm. I was 20 years old. So it's an interesting kind of, it's almost nice not to have hit your masterpiece yet because you still can strive for something. Yeah. I mean, the, 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 in the version on greatest hits volume two, the, the line actually is not on the lyrics on the Bob Dylan website. It says when he talks about, I left Rome and landed in Brussels on a plane ride. So bumpy that I almost cried. He doesn't sing that on the volume two version. He sings with a picture of a tall Oak tree by my side. And so in the in the story, uh, such as it is, you've got a you've got the, the guy who's longing to paint his masterpiece is carrying around a picture, presumably right. a painted picture of a tree. So here he's carrying around his current work, but that's not the masterpiece. Right. But he's still carrying it around. And like you said, like it's funny, um, you know, not too about a couple of years after uh, we graduated and I went home and and was working on this new sort of cut paper style of illustration that I did. I one night I did this portrait of Orson Welles. And that was done, geez, 1994. So that's 24 years ago at this point. I still look at that as like the best thing I ever did. And wow. I still go back to that. And, you know, I'm like, it's not like I don't want to still create. But I, every time when I think about what was the best I ever thing I ever did, that one, probably that one. And I had no intention of working on a masterpiece. It was just yet another piece to do. Sometimes right. you can just, the, the alchemy is there and, and there it is. And so, you know, I think it's. Do you think it was I'm your sure best because you would kind of mastered the the i guess the, the style you were going for at that time or because that can do you look at it now compared to stuff you've done since and go that's the best piece i've ever done yeah i do because okay. i think it's i think it's a combination of it was the i was finally had a hold of the style that i was attempting and it's it was a mixture of uh, because you look, I mean, you know, we were commercial artists. We were told at art school, right. you know, get over the idea that you're artists, you're commercial artists. I mean, the the the, the famous. I mean, do you want to tell the quote about what Tex Blaisdell said we were, or the famous comic book artist Tex oh. Blaisdell said? 
You you tell it. I don't even remember what he, he said. He said, "Well, he said we're, we're he said all comic book artists or all commercial artists are basically whores." Right. Because uh, he said, "Yes, the guy how he likes it, when he likes it, and when he get the money." You know, <laughs> and that's pretty much it. And so, you know, he was sort of saying, "If you if you're if you're coming here to be an artiste, you're in the wrong place." And so. Bob Dylan, uh, even as someone as fervently anti-commercial as Bob Dylan is, he was never totally immune from those pressures, you know, from being a, a commercial artist. And oh, so definitely. He's always, he's always got that push and pull of, yeah, I'm following my muse, but I'm still selling this stuff in the marketplace. I'm, well, I'm he was definitely, I mean, going now. back to the early days of Dylan, he was like, what do you consider yourself? A singer-songwriter? He's like, I'm a song and dance man. I'm a song and dance that, man, exactly. That, to me, yeah. says he's already playing the game and like, well, fuck it. You know, I'm just going to do yeah. what I do, and I'm, I'm here to, you know, even Springsteen has always said that. It's like, I'm here, that's my job, is to make you feel something when we go into concert. You know, is to deliver this product to you. So it's it's weird to hear people like that who you consider and I consider artists to be like, no, I'm just trying to make the public happy. Yeah, it's uh, like I said it's it must be a constant uh, sort of battle you have to have to not let it overcome and seep into your work. And like I said, that's that's Dylan is in a, in a lot of songs seems very serious and very dour, but this one he seems very. It's just it's a fun song. It's a really fun song. I love the way he stretches out the final note with Master P. And when I try and sing along, I like run out of breath before he does because he just holds the <laughs> the note for so long. And it's just it's it's not a song that I'd say has aged with me. I mean, there are some songs that I heard when I like tangled up in blue when i heard for the first time i really loved it but now that i'm a lot older it's a lot deeper in me because i've had life experiences that i can relate right. to more when i paint my masterpiece i kind of love it for the same reasons i loved it when i was 22 so it's not a song i i, I constantly want to hear because there's not a whole lot to it i've read some some interpretations of it where they talk about there's various things about um very painters and and religious icon iconography that you could plumb into and i i maybe all that's there uh, it's right. a Dylan song. Well, it probably I mean, again, it's like it, I think a lot of Dylan stuff is deceptively simple. Where a lot of yes. people think it's like, oh, it's, he's it's just simple, simple chords. He doesn't sing well. You know, how dare this guy do this? I'm like, I'm like, I think a lot of Dylan stuff is is so well done that it's like a mirror held up to you to be like, what do you see in the song? Which I love that about him. I love that he can do something that is deceptively simple, but no one else does it. You know. Right. I mean, and in, he is, again, he's talking about a very specific set of experiences about being in Europe. I mean, this is a song about him being Bob Dylan, world traveler. Right. Uh, I mean, and you meet all these strange people. He's talking about the clergyman, the newspaper men eating candy, the young girls pulling muscles. I had to look that up. Pulling muscles is a slang for having sex. Right. So I, I figured it was something to do with, the, you know, a specific muscle on Bob Dylan. Yeah, you know, so, I mean, he's got a lot of crazy stuff going on, and he's kind of like, he's sort of riding above it all, and then he hops back on a plane to go, oh, to go back into the land of Coca-Cola. He wants to go back home. He's, he's seeing all this amazing stuff. I mean, do you think about that? This was a young kid from Minnesota, and within eight or nine years, he had traveled to four corners of the world. Right. You know, I mean, from a really small town, as he, as he said in that documentary, you could stand at one end of Hibbing and look and see the end of it. You know, I mean, it was that small. And yet here was a guy that visited everywhere by the time he was 29 years old. It's pretty remarkable. So I, I always have loved this song. It's, it's sort of funny that he sort of just put it on the greatest hits volume two and there it sits and never did a whole lot with it. But again, I'm thrilled that he's singing it now. That's right. That is, I just, I'm so charmed by that. And I don't think I'm going to get a chance to see Bob this year. Um, I, I'll, but I will have to try and find if there's a live version on YouTube of, of one of the reasons. I'd love to hear what it sounds like now. Exactly. I'm kind of curious. Of again, his stuff changes live so oh, easily almost. I mean, I've seen him a couple of times live 
And once I really loved it. It was like a college tour. I saw it here in Boulder. But other times I've seen him like, I don't know what song you're singing. Right. And I love this song, but I don't know what you're saying. I don't even know it's that song. <clears throat> so I don't know if that's to keep himself interested in it or what's going on. So I'd be interested to hear what When I Paint My Masterpiece sounds like last night. Yeah, I gotta, I'll got. i try and find something on YouTube and maybe if we can put it at the end of the show. But, but before we, we wrap up, we have to I have to. Oh, I, I want to go back to one you, thing and go okay, back yeah. to Bob Dylan and the band, because that's what I was looking for this morning. And okay. all I found was like a lot of him and the band doing it. And I don't know if you've seen this. Um, I think it was on a show called Soundbreakers, which was on PBS. And they brought up the whole electric. It was like a five or ten part series on PBS about the history of recorded music. And they brought up going from acoustic to electric. So, of course, Bob Dylan's a huge, I went from acoustic to electric and pissed off a lot of people. Oh, yeah. And what was interesting is like you and I are so used to that story and, you know, him just going play louder, play louder. And I never thought of it from the point of view of Robbie Robertson and the band who was backing him up, who would be like, Bob would come out and do an acoustic set, and then we'd come out and play with him. And he's like, and people hated us. Right. Hated us. And it'd be one thing to be Bob Dylan going, screw these people, let's do what we want. But another thing to be just a backup musician going, everyone hates us. You know, <laughs> and, and having that feeling when you go out to play with this guy. And I'm like, I never thought of it that way, that you're just going up trying to do your thing and people just are booing you every night. Oh, they so, got death threats? It was crazy. Right. Yeah. And again, one thing to be Bob Dylan being like the leader of the ship going, this is what we're doing. But another thing to just be a guy like, I just want to play guitar and, and have fun with my buddy Bob. And everyone hates us. Yeah, yeah. So. There's, a, there's, a, there's a piece of footage in the, again, I think it's the Scorsese documentary of a bunch of British fans spilling out of one of these shows. And one of them says something like, um, somebody should shoot him. And you're like, <laughs> oh my God. Right. Like, just because he did a concert you didn't like? And Calm part of you down. was like, well, you could do something in life that people love so much that then you could change it that they hated you so much. I'm like, God, you've done something very artistic at that point. To actually make someone it. hate you so much is, is, yeah. a, is a feat. That's an awesome thing to do. That's unbelievable. So, uh, but, but you have, uh, I mean, again, among your many skills, you're, again, you're a writer, you're an artist, and you're a musician. You have a very per- particular experience with covering this song and, it, uh, and people reacting to it. So what's that story? So, um, I, again, I covered the song mostly for you. Um, I did a version <laughs> of the song. I uh, started playing guitar and, and messing around with music when I became an artist again, kind of when I became a freelance artist, and I couldn't. I mean, we, you and I had gone through that before. You're a freelance artist. And like, God, I don't know what else to do other than doing art. You know, we're so yep. used to like, I have a job job, then I go home and do art. So all of a sudden when art becomes your job, you can't just go, okay, I did art all day. Now I'm going to stop, get dinner. And then at night I'm going to do art some more. Um, yeah, right. Yeah. So I needed a new hobby and it was either going to be filmmaking or music. So I went to, to music. So I felt it was a little cheaper and I could do it by myself. I didn't need to find a bunch of people to do it with me. So I, I started playing guitar and really got into recording and, and not just playing guitar for guitar's sake. I, I wanted to actually record music. So I got into guitar, bass, and drums and everything all at once. So um, early on, I knew you'd love this song. So I'm like, I want to do a cover version of this Bob Dylan song just for you, which is why when you hear the song, it actually name checks you a couple of times. And <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, even when it starts, it's like this one's for Robbo. Here we go. And even at the end, I think of the last line of when I paint my masterpiece, I said, when Rob paints his masterpiece. So I didn't name check you a couple of times in it. And it's funny because I did that one. And that's just in my living room with like a little tiny Fender amp. Um, I barely knew how to record stuff correctly, not nearly as well as I know now. 
so I'm kind of making stuff up on the fly and I never went to like, you know, school for music. I never knew how to do it. So I was making stuff up on how to record all the time, reading books here and there. So it came out decent, but it's, I, I listened to it this morning. And I'm like, ah, not nearly as good as I could do now, but what are you going to do? <clears throat> so I did that song, sent it to you. Nothing really happened with it. Just kind of sat. I think, I think at the time I might've put it on my MySpace page. This is back in like 2010 or so when MySpace was a thing. And I did another Bob Dylan song after that. Um, I did It Ain't Me, Babe, which was, you know, famously done by Johnny Cash, but was a Bob Dylan song. So I did a version of that, which sounded like a live version of my band doing it, where my wife, actually, my my girlfriend, who's not my wife now, introduced it like it was in Germany. You know, she kind of did some German introduction. <laughs> and I did that one as a weird thing. Um, I think it was at the time, you know, if 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 some art, like if you were an artist and go, hey, the first five people who say something about this post, I'll send them something. You know, send them a, a piece of art or something like that. Right, right. So I did that, and I was like, "Oh, I'll just make an, I'll make a little album. I'll make a you know a CD, and I'll make a case for it and everything." So I did that for um, "It Ain't Me, Babe," and I put that out, sent it out to whoever, put it up on my website or my blog or whatever, and it went on AOL. And this is the days when you and I were blogging a lot. So yep. I had this blog post up of "Here's you know it ain't me, babe." So you're checking the numbers of your blog like you do. And it's like, you know, it's never that big. It's a couple people looking at it every day. And all of a sudden it spiked one day to like a thousand people looked at your website. And I'm like, what the, what was that? What has happened? I don't know what <laughs> happened. Why are people looking at my website all of a sudden for like two or three days? And what had happened was somehow, I don't know how someone found it. All of a sudden I'm on a database of bands that have covered Bob Dylan. <laughs> So you look and it's like next to Johnny Cash and next to, you know, uh, Mickey Dolan from the Monkees. It's just like Oil Can Drive is, is my band. It's just that they have covered, you know, It Ain't Me, Babe. So I'm like, holy cow, this is kind of weird. I'm actually there with real people I know. There's, you know, Joan Baez is up there. And it's just everyone who's ever covered Dylan is on this database. Jimi Hendrix, you know. Jimi Hendrix. And there's like my stupid cartoon band next to all these real people. <laughs> So it's just weird, and I'm kind of watching the numbers go, and I don't even know what to do with it. I really had no idea what to do or how to – how do you kind of roll that into something real? So you know, a couple of days go by, and you know, I'm getting emails from people saying we like the song and put the song up. I'm like, okay. And all of a sudden, I get an email saying on MySpace, Bob has sent you a message. And I'm like, oh, fuck. Bob Dylan's going to sue me <laughs> for doing this. <laughs> um, and it wasn't Bob Dylan, unfortunately, which would have, even if he was suing me, it would have been awesome. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> I would have called you be like, Rob, Bob Dylan knows who I am. <laughs> even though he hates me, he knows who I am. It was a guy named Bob Reitman, who's a DJ out of Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And apparently I looked him up. He's like a famous DJ who was, you know, had freeform radio in the 60s and 70s. I think him and his partner had actually been on Cheers one time. So it was kind of weird. And he, he loved what I did. And he loved... Um, it ain't me, babe, but he really loved my version of when I paint my masterpiece and he's kind of semi-retired now, but he has a show he does each week called it's all right. Ma, it's only music and mostly focuses on Bob Dylan. And he's like, I'd love to play your song on the show. And I'm like, of course, here's an MP3 of it. Let me know if you need anything else. And he told me like, here's what it's going to be on the show. And I'm listening and you can listen on online for it. And it was weird to hear him talk about my band, which again is just me in my living room with a little <laughs> ink and a you know some a computer and just mucking around, and you know, I mean he sandwiched me between like the Ramones and <laughs> the Beatles were on that show and Elvis, and I'm like, and then just my stupid thing. I remember my, that I was like, oh my god, 
And what was funny is hearing him, his son is on it with him, and he's trying to explain, like, I found this music, and this is a band from Colorado, they're really good, and he's using, like, the pronoun, like, there and they. And I'm like, it's just me in my living room, goofing off. So it's just kind of, it was surreal to hear it. And he, he really liked what I was doing with music, which was, again, was odd because music was just something I was kind of goofing around with. And I've done other songs where I put them on message boards and people hated what I was doing. Like really hated, like say, I should just throw all my instruments out. My music should be used to like torture prisoners. <laughs> so like, depending on who you listen to, either these people are right or Bob Reitman, who knows about music is right. So I don't know. But it was kind of a trip to have this guy pick up a song and I've, I've now a musician who's been on the radio and I barely call myself a musician because I just kind of goof around. But again, weird to be someone who, I mean, bands try all the time to get their songs on the radio to, and for me just to kind of like fall into it. Right. It was, was amazing. Weird, weird. So he really enjoyed that song and he, he really said great things about it. So thank you for making me or, you know, give me the inspiration to record it. <laughs> I remember that all happening in real time and you telling me about it. And I was like, what? Like, what? <laughs> you know, it's just crazy. Because, I mean, again, it's like for people who don't know what oil can drive is, well, I'll let you explain it in a second. But, like, it's you're like the gorillas. You know, I mean, it's like you're this fake band, but people don't know that if they don't know, you know. I mean, it is because you're talking to Henry and you're talking to these people. People right. think that's a, it was a band. Yeah, they didn't know any better. So that was just amazing to me. Yeah, that like It's like the gorillas like, if, if one person in their, in their living room was doing it. It's just like there's no one else but me doing it yeah i'm listening to that show and it's like oh yeah we just played the ramones and i'm, I'm like anticipating he's like next up we have a uh, guy named sean tiffin i'm like i can't believe a guy who i <laughs> sat in sat in these classes with for three years and we made short films back in cuba with tom zoller dressed as superman and you know all these crazy nerd <laughs> things and here he is on the radio being played in the same breath as the, and after uh, sean tiffany we're gonna play Jimi hendrix all along the watchtower like, exactly it's like it was just surreal it was very surreal um, Absolutely. Yeah. And again, I don't even know how I would have like, how do you, you know, leapfrog on that? How do you, how do you springboard from that? To, I'm like, I have no idea. <laughs> you know, my right, friend's yeah. like, you should get into a hotel room for a week and just record an album. I'm like, I, I can't do that. That's not going to happen. So. Right. And this is all pre-social media, really. Right. You know, so I mean, it's like, yeah, there was MySpace, but that wasn't really... Nowadays, you'd be on Twitter and you'd be blasting it out to all these people right, and everything right. you know about it. So, yeah. Oh, it's just amazing. So, yeah, it's so cool. Of all the songs, again, for you to cover, it's When I Pay My Masterpiece. Like, it's and what was funny for me is, again, I think if you listen to the two, if you listen to It Ain't Me, Babe, and When I Paint My Masterpiece, the two versions I did, It Ain't Me, Babe is far better produced, far better sounding. But again, somehow he, Bob Reitman, kind of went to the When I Paint My Masterpiece, which is almost a stripped down, just punk rock, how fast yes. can I go version. Um, and I, maybe he liked it because it's almost an honest version. It's very simple. It's very direct, I guess. Oh, yeah. It's very punchy. Yeah. I mean, everybody will get to hear it at the end of the show. And it's also because I just think it's, it's unusual. Most people don't know that song. And that's know, what he, I think most that's people what he, don't cover I mean, when I pay my masterpiece. Right. And I, I know I sent you the version where Bob is talking about it, where he's like, you know, and I think this is true. He's like a lot of people when they do a Bob Dylan song. They almost like imitate Dylan. They kind of do that right. Dylan singing. They do. They they almost become a caricature of a Dylan song. And he's like, and these guys, when he's talking about oil can't drive, he's like, it's not. It's inspired by Dylan, but it doesn't sound like Dylan at all. Which I nope. take as a huge compliment. You know, yeah. Um, that I can do something that most people don't do. I'm like, whoa, I'm actually doing something good. I guess. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I think that's what I I mean. I obviously can't speak for him, but I would imagine those are the versions Bob likes the most. Is when somebody's doing their own thing with it. That's right. that's what he's always done. And so well, I would imagine that's what he wants. What I love about Dylan stuff again, being deceptively simple songs, you can turn them into whatever you want because yep. you can. I mean, it's the three four chords, 
and you can really play it with them to make them your own, which I really enjoy about his stuff. Whereas like if I was doing like I've heard people cover U2 songs. I'm like, why bother? You know, you're not going to sound better than U2 being U2, <laughs> but you can take a Bob Dylan song and make it your own. Mm-hmm. It's hard to take a U2 song and make it anything but a U2 song. Yeah, don't, there's there's a couple of songs we haven't gotten to them yet on the show, but there are a couple of songs that I of for Bob's that I've never been that huge a fan of, and then I heard a cover version right. that I really loved, and it sort of gave me a, a way to get back into the the Dylan version. I'm like, oh, now I hear right. it. Well, I mean, what, I mean, a what great, other people great are hearing example, right? Great example of that would be All Along the Watchtower by Jimi Hendrix. I mean, that's right, one most, if you had the definitive version of that song, you'd be like the Jimi Hendrix one. Right. Which is a weird thing to go, wow, a cover song is the definitive version of that song. Right. Not the Bob, Bob Dylan song. Right. Bob himself agrees with that because he's, he's been doing the Hendrix version ever since. He doesn't right. do an acoustic version all along. Most and how interesting that is that? Is a Dylan song. That's super interesting to kind of go, I'm going to cover the cover that someone covered of me. You know? Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing stuff. So. Uh, yeah, I was. That was. It was all an amazing experience. And like I said, Sean and I have had a great many adventures together. We don't get to hang out because Sean is all the way in Colorado, and I'm still in New Jersey. But we've had uh, a great, great many times together. And I hope that we will get to hang out at other some other point down the road because uh, it was just we've always had a lot of fun together, dating all the way back. And you know, like I said, if it wasn't for you and for Dan O'Connor for those afternoons that we had together and, in, 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 you know, trying to crank out these assignments. I don't know if I'd be a fan of Bob Dylan to this day and, and what a loss to my life that would be if I didn't have this. Cause <laughs> I can't uh, imagine but, you not finding Dylan somehow, you know, I, I think right. I mean, right. It seems, it seems faded in a lot of ways, but uh, you never know, you know, you never know. So, well, Sean, thank you so much, man. Well, I always enjoy talking to you and this, I was looking forward to this one for the longest time. Cause this is, again, I love the song and you had a lot of history with it. We have a lot of history together. So this was a blast. I appreciate it. Let me bring up one more thing. If anyone wants a copy of the song, it is up for free on uh, CD baby, which is just store.cdbaby.com. If you go to that website, look up oil can drive. Um, there's a free version, free download. If that link doesn't work, you can just go to oilcandrive.com. It's in the store. Links right to it. It's a free download. If anyone wants those versions of both When I Paint My Masterpiece and It Ain't Me, Babe, and an acoustic version of It Ain't Me, Babe for that I did for a demo. All download Very cool. free. Very cool. Tell people uh, where what Oil Can Drive. We'll have a link to it in the show notes, but tell people what that is. Uh, Oil Can Drive is um, kind of a multimedia project of mine. It's a cartoon band. Uh, futuristic band in the wastelands of America. Uh, it's a comic book. There's music to it. I want to do videos someday. Um, as you know, Rob, I'm taking a little hiatus from it now that I've had my son and things have gotten a little crazy here. <laughs> but uh, I, I don't think it'll ever be like I'm done with it and, and I'll never do it again. So right now I'm kind of taking a rest from it but and kind of revamping what I want to do with it. Um, definitely more music coming. Definitely more art coming. Just not as quick as I had hoped, but it, it's kind of my own personal project just at oilcandrive.com. You can go check it out. Awesome. And uh, I subscribe to the Oil Can Drive newsletter, and it's an actual physical newsletter that I get in the mail. And I admire your commitment to doing something so old school with how much well, money you must be spending on it. But, man, I love getting <laughs> that thing. It's so fun. Yeah, the, uh, the postage is not as cheap as it used to be. But I, nope. I definitely miss the days. I miss the days when you'd follow a band, and the only way you'd kind of get updates from them is like something in the mail. And I, I, I miss because I think you felt part of something when you, when that happened. Yeah, and I think it's such a novelty now that everything that you and I are used to back in the '90s almost is just such a no one does it anymore. 
So when yep. people actually get physical mail, they're amazed at it. They're like, oh, my God, this is, actually came in the mail and someone sent me something. So I'm having a good reaction to it. I can put stickers in there. I can put little, you know, goodies in there. And it's fun to do a couple times a year and just kind of connect with people like that. Oh, I love it. As soon as I get it, I open it up and I read it because it's just like your thoughts about what's going on. And I was like, this is just awesome. I just it's it's such a treat to get something in the mail again. So appreciate it's very cool. Appreciate yep. that. And, it's, and we will have the, we will have the link in the show notes. So, of course, everybody, uh, if you want to listen to back episodes of the show, go to the website, fireandwaterpodcast.com. You can leave comments about the show or the past episodes. And we're always talking Bob Dylan over on Twitter, which is at pod underscore Dylan. So thanks, everybody, for listening. I hope uh, you all paint your masterpiece one day, and we will see you later. Bye. Bye-bye. I left the road and landed in Brussels With a picture of a tall oak tree by my side Clergy men in uniform and young girls pulling muscles Everyone was there and nobody tried to hide Newspaper men eating candy Had to be held down by big police When I paint my masterpiece. All right, boys, let's do this. All right, everybody ready? Henry, you ready? All right, Vince. <laughs> okay, Nicole. All right, this one's for Robbo. Here we go. Well, the streets of Rome, they're filled with rubble. Ancient footprints are everywhere. You can almost think that you're seeing double. On a cold, dark night on the Spanish stairs. Got to hurry back. The hotel room. I got me a date with Monticelli's niece. Well, she promised me that she'd be right there for me when I paint my masterpiece. Oh, the hours I spent at the Coliseum, dodging lions and wasting time. Junk, you know I can hardly stand to see you Yeah, you know it's been a long, hard climb Train wheels running through the back of my memory Ran on the hilltop, like a wild beast Well, someday everything's gonna be smooth like Rhapsody
On a plane ride, so bumping that I almost cried. With his countrymen in uniform and young girls pulling muscles. Everyone was there to greet me when I stepped inside. There's a newspaper man eating all my candy. Had to be held down by big police. Well, someday everything's gonna be different. When I paint my masterpiece. Yeah, someday.